You know, it's hard to interview really smart people. They have great things to say, but can run them by you at a fast clip. It's like trying to savor a seven-course gourmet meal served on a conveyor belt. Dan McGaw is one of those smart people I'm talking about. He sees the threads that connect customers to websites, to campaigns, and to decision makers. We call these stacks, and they are the hot topic in digital marketing these days. We all have stacks, email platforms, marketing automation systems, customer management systems, analytics databases, and each of the services we work with adds to our stacks, Facebook and Google Ads and Instagram and Amazon. Most of our stacks come together piecemeal, one part at a time, independent and unintegrated. This means we spend hours drowning in spreadsheets as we try to answer simple questions like, should I run that campaign again? And how many times do I have to touch my prospects before they buy? Fortunately, Dan is sitting down with me, and I'm going to wrestle as many insights from his brain as possible in this episode of Intended Consequences. He knows all the tools, and he doesn't mind telling you what he thinks, so buckle in. Welcome to Intended Consequences, a podcast from Conversion Sciences. I'm Brian Massey, and I believe that anyone is capable of using behavioral science to predict the success of their marketing campaigns. Marketing magic is real, and I'll teach you how to harness it. Never meant to start effing amazing. It literally just happened. Um, and that's probably the reason why we've been so successful is we never were like, this is what we're doing. It, it just kind of happened. What made you go into consulting? Yeah, uh, I actually fell into consulting. I've always been in the service industry. Uh, my family actually was in the restaurant industry for a long time. So service was always something that was just very natural to me. So even when I went into the product world and I worked at Kissmetrics and Code School and all these other product companies, I was always very much interested in being one-on-one -on -one with people compared to like serving somebody through uh, a software. So consulting was always not necessarily the thing I went after, but it was still just service. So for me, I really like to serve other people, take care of other people, uh, provide them value through human interaction. Um, and that's kind of where consulting started from. Uh, to be honest, F and Amazing was completely a fluke. I never set out to start a company, uh, never meant to start F and Amazing. It literally just happened. Um, and that's probably the reason why we've been so successful is we never were like, this is what we're doing. It, was, it just kind of happened. So you're into to service. When someone works with you, what do you want to change for them? So the first thing that we always try to understand about every company is what do they think that they need to accomplish compared to what do they actually need to accomplish? A lot of companies do have their priorities kind of backwards. So I would have to say the first thing that we really try to look at with a company compared to like what is easy, which is usually what they gravitate to, is like what do they actually need to accomplish which will drive impact. So I would have to say the first thing we really try to have an impact on is their priorities. Uh, earlier, I know before we started this, we talked a little bit about the VICE framework. Uh, it's our mm -hmm. framework for prioritization. We use that with all of our clients to be able to score in essence the different projects they have. Let's start out with some easy things that get everything going, but then like let's make sure that we plan for those big projects which make big changes in the organization. And let's uh, let's spell out what for those that may not know what yeah. ICE is and and what Vice is uh, yeah. in that class of of model. Yeah, so the, the ICE framework, of course, is impact, confidence, and ease. So you would score on that to be able to better idea what you're going to do with your A-B test. When and you're scoring 
hypotheses, you're scoring yeah. ideas. So it's, it's easy to come up with a long list of ideas. How do you figure out which ones you're going to work on next week mm -hmm. and which of these is, is a high enough quality to take to an AV test? Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it gives everybody an opportunity to actually have a seat at the table, which works out really well. Uh, so you can, you can open it up to five people. It's not just one person doing the score. Uh, one thing we hate is when the hippo comes in the room and we have to do what the hippo says. So we tell the hippo, like, listen, your opinion matters. You can score it too. However, you're outnumbered by five other people. So the whole room's going to win, not just the hippo. So that's how uh, ice really worked. But when we looked at the ice model, one thing that we didn't like is that it didn't take into consideration time. And with A-B testing, where this really started with us is the most important factor for us is time. So we, we follow a high velocity testing process. So we're trying to get learnings every two weeks guaranteed. So velocity was really important. Um, but what we started to identify was that we were like we were using the vice framework for A-B testing, which was great. It was working out. However, we started saying, well, where else can we use this? So we started applying it to our marketing uh, tactics with our clients. We then started applying it to all projects inside of a client's project. We've even applied it to HR. So when we look at new candidates that come in, we will apply the vice model. So V is for velocity. When we look at velocity, how quickly is it going to be for that person to get up to speed? So if they get a 10, well, hey, that person hits the ground running day one and they're going to be great. That person gets a two. Well, great. They're going to have to be trained for six months. This is going to change where they fit in the model. And it really helped makes it so that there's five different people that are grading, once again, on an HR capacity. They all get their uh, scores in, and then we can better grade those people. So we use that across almost everything we do now, uh, which really helps us set the priorities. And I think every client we start with, that's the number one problem that we see is that their priorities are mismanaged, misset, or even their ability to do resource allocation or resource planning to understand that like, hey, listen, we could boil the ocean, but like that's gonna take 16 years. Or what we can do is we can do these two projects right now. They're really small. We can do one after the other. It's gonna take two months, but we'll get something done. Mm -hmm. And as you might see with most companies, even in your practice, Trying to get shit done takes forever. Yeah, let me unpack that a little bit because we started off talking about A-B tests and the number yeah. of hypotheses you have and how Vice uh, solves that. And I want to draw a distinction between A-B testers or conversion optimizers or conversion scientists or that and just a general class of experimenters, which I think every digital marketer is going to have to have. They're going to have to have their own tool belt for experimenting. So what you're saying is you start off with Vice as a framework for optimizing A-B testing, but you're now taking it to even more strategic things that you may never do any A-B tests around, but should we add chatbots to our site? Or should we add video to our site? More strategic things, you can still apply Vice mm -hmm. and it will help you pick those things that will deliver the, the best impact uh, with the most confidence and the E is ease. So how easy, e, how easy it is, and uh, velocity, the velocity yeah. of you know having success sooner. As marketers start to wade into this experimentation, one of the first things they're going to bump up against is credibility. So they say, mm -hmm. "I want to go and do this thing." There's going to be an organization or a boss that's going to expect to hear some credibility pretty quickly. So I love velocity for that. Give me an example or a, a situation where you've brought Vice into um, an organization that maybe wasn't naturally set up for experimentation and how Vice gave them the, the, the power to kind of follow some of their curiosity. 
Yeah, so uh, really easy case. There's a company called ForksOverKnives.com. Uh, we worked them for with them for a very long time. They're uh, they started as a documentary uh, that was put out into the public. It was oh, the yeah. number one documentary on Netflix and Amazon for four years. Uh, one of the most popular documentaries of all time. So it's basically a documentary saying, "Hey, listen, if you eat red meat, chances are you're gonna get cancer, right?" So obviously, it had a big splash in pop culture. Everybody noticed it. Everybody uh, on the internet has seen it. Basically. So they parlayed that into a publishing company, basically. So they had a very popular blog with content. They managed a lot of different products on there. So they were driving a lot of traffic to their site. They had an online cooking school that they needed to focus on and be able to drive revenue to. They had an e-commerce store where they sold grain kits and dressings and cookbooks. They had a mobile app. They also had a meal planner. So you have all these competing priorities with these different products. And each one makes a certain amount of money. Some are more valuable lifetime value. Some are more value in different ways. So when we did our initial discovery with them, we wrote a 160-page document of all of these things they could go do that would help the business. But once again, we had to figure out like, well, what's going to be first? And that's where the Vice model really came into play to tell us, hey, listen, if we looked at the impact of what we're going to accomplish, well, the impact of optimizing the cooking school, because the cooking school is higher value compared to optimizing the meal planner, okay, that's going to have a better impact on the business. Okay, well, let's look at the velocity and how quick that impact would be. Okay, well, the meal planner, we can get this done very, very quickly. The cooking school, it's going to take much longer. But let's evaluate the ease of that. And these scores naturally were able to tell us, okay, great. Let's start out with fixing the mobile app because the mobile app is really quick, has a big impact on the business, and is the most top of funnel thing we have. Okay, well, great. That's the first thing that we were able to go accomplish. However, third thing down in the line on the VICE framework was overhauling the cooking course and its funnel. So what happens is, is the really easy, low-hanging fruit task got done first, mm-hmm. got everybody moving, got accomplishments done. However, we were able to then say, hey, in two months from now, we got to plan for the cooking school overhaul. So let's start that process because that's going to have a longer velocity and as well as not going to be as easy. So there's a lot more stakeholders, a lot more process in it. So with that being said, I mean, we've tripled their business in a few years. They're doing extremely well, but also each one of their products, we've actually learned how over that vice framework, which product do we need to sell first in their their funnel? Like we need to sell uh, the mobile app first, and then you go to the meal planner, then you go to the cooking school. And there's kind of this thought process as to why, but the vice framework helped us understand, okay, where are we going to make impact today? Where are we going to make impact in a year from now? And then how are all those things going to parlay out? But either way, the promise is I'm not vegan. So I'm not going to know the same confidence as the founder who is a complete vegan, hasn't had oil in 20 years, he's going to have a way better confidence score. So the fact that my score, I'm an expert at what I do when it comes to marketing and all these amazing things, our scores have to go into the same thing. And that way we both have a seat at the table. Now we are taking it a step farther soon, which I think is going to be really cool. We're adding the concept of believability scoring as well. Have you ever read the book uh, Principles by Ray Dalio? No. Ray Dalio, the most successful hedge fund company ever. He's the reason why half of our uh, world runs on the way that it runs of economics. He helped create like uh, all kinds of stuff with the stock market. He runs his hedge fund completely on algorithms. So every single thing in his life is basically become some sort of principle. So it's, imagine you take the vice framework and everything you do in business has its own framework that you apply to it based upon the learning. So really fascinating book, huge book, really highly recommend reading it. So they have believability scoring on their own framework. So for an example, you're a conversion rate optimization expert. I'm a marketing technology expert. Well, my believability score when selecting a marketing automation tool is a 10. Yours is probably a three, but we're talking about selecting A-B testing tools. Yours is probably a 10. Mine's probably a two. So these are two different things we have taken into consideration when doing the scoring. So going back to Forks Over Knives, 
his confidence score can times can be outweighed on me. So because his confidence in something working is a lot better because that's his industry. Mine actually gets reduced because I'm not in that industry. Mm -hmm. So that's how we try to take this vice framework and score things, prioritize things so we can have a successful plan, which is, I think, the biggest part of all. Most marketers forget about a plan. Marketers typically throw planning out the window, which makes me cry. But that's, yeah, really how we put it into play. Yeah. So uh, just so that everybody can kind of imagine this, in its simplest form, I imagine Vice is a, a spreadsheet with a list of ideas yep. and four columns, one for each V-I-C-E, mm -hmm. and you're scoring them on a scale of one to 10. Absolutely. Zero to 10, because you can be an asshole. So you are the king of stacks. There's a lot of talk about stacks. At, at any level of the stack from email, marketing automation, CRM, analytics, uh, tag management, uh, all the way through, there are dozens of options, dozens of choices. And I get pitched five a day now on new tools, new interesting tools. Like I said, this is the golden age of marketing. Is there a kind of a common stack that's a good starter stack or uh, tools that right now you're saying these are uh, best in class for most organizations? Or is it really having to go in and understanding all the options and pick the right tool for an organization? There's definitely different tools that are better for certain organizations. So as, a, as an agency, there's tools that are a little bit easier for us compared to if you're a landscaping company, right? There's definitely different tools. So you have the all-in-one packages, which usually just do okay at everything. And most people can get away with that. So if you think about a platform like HubSpot, HubSpot does everything. They do it about 60% well and about 40% bad. For most people in the world, you know what? 60% good is enough. For me, clearly, that's not going to be enough. I own a company effing amazing. Like Things have got to be out of the uh, crazy bound, right? So we typically are looking at best of breed tools, things that push the limits of reality. That's kind of us. Most companies aren't where we're at. So those platform approaches will work for most businesses. Now, when you think about uh, your normal SaaS company, there's a plethora of options and you really need to focus on what is the outcome you're trying to create and then start to research the different tools that are out there. And you do want to look and see what's going to be the best for your option. That being said, we have created what we call the ultimate stack. Uh, and the ultimate stack is something that we recommend to all businesses that just want to get started and be really scalable and effective in the future. So the, the big thing that companies don't really understand now, and this is really new in the market, is this concept of customer data platforms or customer data infrastructures. And they're two separate things, but they're relatively the same. Basically, what needs to happen is you need to be able to send your data to one source, and that one source basically distributes it to all of your other tools. That's known as a CDI, customer data infrastructure. The three main players in that space are Segment, Meta Router, and then uh, MParticle. And basically, these tools are web tools, which have uh, client-side libraries, so like uh, JavaScript, and then server-side libraries that you can use. They also inter in, uh, integrate with tools like Salesforce, so they can consume data from Salesforce and pass it downstream to other tools. These tools are really needed, so that way you have one source to send your data to, and then it distributes it throughout the rest of the stack. With that being said, that becomes the hub of how data just moves around. CDIs don't store the data. So the next thing you need to have is a CDP uh, or marketing automation tool. And this is something that's going to change over the next few years here. You think about Marketo, they're a marketing automation platform. You think about Pardot, marketing automation platform. Mm -hmm. Well, everybody who is in that space wants to become a CDP, a customer data platform. All that means is I collect customer information, I save it, and then I can send it somewhere else. That's really all a CDP does. Well, marketing automation tools just have never looked at themselves as that because they don't send data downstream through an API, but it's really easy for them to add that bolt on. So you have other platforms like Lytics that have recently focused on that and they're like, but they are a marketing automation platform. That's really what they do. They send email, they send push, they send text. However, they can send a webhook to Salesforce now. So the, the one tool that we recommend for everybody is there's this platform called Autopilot, uh, autopilothq.com. 
Uh, one of my, I, I use it all the time. I, I mean, I probably spent two hours today in it alone. Uh, it was one of my favorite marketing automation platforms, does email, text message, uh, can send webhooks to other platforms, integrated with Zapier, does direct mail. Um, but it really can work as a transactional system where like this happens and it immediately fires or it can do a 16 day drip campaign if you had wanted it to. Um, so really, really powerful. So if you took a CDI like segment and you integrated that in with something like autopilot, well, autopilot becomes almost your CDP and it also becomes your marketing automation tool that can send data everywhere, can send emails everywhere. Uh, it has a text bot that we're testing right now. Um, so really, really cool stuff where you can say, Hey, like what's your first name? And you can say Brian, and then we have it put into a field and it's saved. It's pretty badass. Hmm. So then the next thing is, is if you're a B2B, you need a CRM Salesforce, right? I would always recommend Salesforce. Everybody's like, Hey, it's expensive. It's like, yeah, I get it. But so is all the other work you put into another platform to get it going. Salesforce is up and running. It's got 2 billion integrations with it already works. Uh, and then your downstream analytics tools, Google Analytics is cool, but it doesn't do enough. It doesn't get to say, hey, this is Tom, this is Bob, this is their lifetime value. It just says conversions, which is lame to me. Um, I really recommend either Amplitude or Mixpanel for that. Um, so between those three or four tools, I mean, that's a primary stack right there. So, and, so you have segment to autopilot, B2B, you got Salesforce without Salesforce, just drop it. And then you have something like Amplitude. Uh, or Mixpanel. And I really like Mixpanel because it has its own marketing automation engine as well. You're up and running and you can send text messages, you can send emails, you can do all kinds of cool and stuff. Mixpanel built its, uh, built its name really in more of the application space, but you like it now for a general, general purpose analytics engine? Yeah, so they're the first one that was really able to do the cross-device analytics at, uh, all in one place and also had cross-device marketing automation. I think they got distracted by some shiny objects, maybe just called artificial intelligence or prediction. And that kind of took them away from like what they were really good at, which was this amazing measurement tied with automation. Uh, and some competitors came out like Braze and even AppBoy, well, it is AppBoy now, excuse me, uh, Lytics that came out and kind of took their dog food there. But they were more focused on product behavior metrics back then. Now they're really saying, we consume all of your data. Just send us everything. We'll make it so you can measure it. And that's been really effective for a lot of our clients to be able to see all of these different disparate systems come into one visualization tool and be able to leverage it. So we go with a general platform, use it as best we can, broad platform that does a little bit of everything, like a HubSpot. Uh, if we want to step up from that, um, and every one of these platforms has something, that, a little bugaboo that gets us that we just got to get away from. Uh, do we have to hire an effing amazing? Is this the only way to go go about it? I wouldn't say you have to hire somebody like effing amazing, but you definitely need to find a little bit of a hybrid marketer. It's really hard to find a marketer that's extremely technical. Uh, and it's also really hard to find an engineer who's very good at marketing. So really trying to find the mix of those two things can be really difficult. And as well as trying to keep up with all of these different tools. I mean, you're saying like, hey, listen, like you've already dropped a ton of tools. If I told you the number of Chrome extensions I had, your head would spin. <laughs> so it's really hard to stay up to date with all the different tools out there. Um, so I definitely at times, if like you're a company that makes sense, the technology, you're spending more than $5,000 a month in technology, having a consultant like us pays off a lot because we can save you money as well as make you a bunch of money. But if you're in a place where you don't really have the resources to pay a consultant like us, one, there's people on Upwork that you can go hire and stuff like that, which you can always do, which is crazy to see. Um, and then there's also people like TopTol, which uh, also have people like us that have growth marketing and growth engineers on there uh, that can help people figure this stuff out. But finding a technical marketer in this day and age is extremely hard and extremely expensive. Even I have a hard time hiring them. 
Uh, and that's my specialty. Well, the folks that listen to this podcast, um, I think one of the reasons they listen is because they want to become that highly valuable, yeah. highly sought after digital marketer that knows how to make uh, stacks uh, hum and sing. So if they're in a marketing department and they want to to, to go to the, the hippo, the, mm -hmm. the person who controls the purse strings, what's the case that they make for investing? Clearly, what is quite a bit of time, integration, taking data from what they've got now, porting it into the, the new system and uh, the training that goes with that for the organization. How do they make the case that they need to go in and build out their stack, get off of whatever they're on that's not well integrated? Yeah, the hardest problem with that is showing the outcome. So and really trying to explain the return on investment and understanding where you're going to go. And I think the one thing that people forget about is they're typically looking at return on investment simply on the capacity of like, we're going to increase conversions. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times what the problem is with the stack is actually human capital that goes to waste. So automation, which we've actually been able to roll out, has saved companies thousands upon hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in human capital cost. So when you think about something we roll out in automation, well, that's when it's not automated, somebody's doing it manually. So what you really want to do is look at how much time savings will an individual have in the company so they can move on to other things and start adding that to your equation uh, for how you're going to change stuff. Because like one thing that we've learned a lot is a lot of companies are using Excel spreadsheets that are exported from one tool and then imported another tool. When mm -hmm. you think about this, if somebody's doing this for an hour to two hours a week, okay, great. So that's two hours a week that you're spending this amount of time. If you make $60,000 a year, you add that two hours per week up, you start actually having some pretty good chunks of change there. And then if you start to look at the error percentage that somebody could have and all the mistakes that can come along with this or how this extrapolates across departments, uh, there's actually a really huge cost savings to uh, actually integrating these tools. So as an example, uh, Segment, which I brought up earlier, the CDI, um, when they did their numbers is that if you rolled out Segment, you actually pay one fifth the cost as if you did not roll out Segment. And the reason why is because you have developers who are now spending their entire job just maintaining the technologies on the website. So you got Google Analytics, you got AdWords, you got Facebook pixels, you got Marketo pixels, you got Salesforce pixels. You have 26 different technologies. Well, they're all written in their own syntax. So Salesforce's language, Marketo's language. Mm -hmm. Marketer wants to roll out a new event. They're like, hey, listen, we need to measure every single time somebody gets this landing page. Well, that has to be written in code 16 times for all of those different services. Well, the problem is, is that's an engineer that has to go spend their entire day doing that and then making mistakes. And then this constant circle of fixing and auditing and fixing and auditing. You roll on a platform like Segment, well, they write one line of code and Segment manages the rest of the integrations. You don't have that constant circle. So you now take something which would take eight hours in a week for that developer to roll out and it's done in 30 minutes. And at the same time, the marketer on the other side no longer has to spend 12 hours doing imports of data uh, in a given month to make sure the data was synced up. So when you start to look at the value most marketers make the mistake because they're simply looking at conversion rates. They're simply looking at, we're going to grow the business by X percentage. Really, as a business owner, I care about conversion rates, but I care about my expenses just as much. My human capital is the most expensive expense I have. If I can gain 20 hours back in a week, that's a lot of money at the end of the year. Yeah, and I think that this concept of predictability, once you have one of these systems in place uh, where you're automating a lot of the touch points, uh, you have a predictable growth that you can plug into your forecasts because you're not just like, oh, you know, we didn't get as many emails out last month because I had another project I was working on. So one of the things we always want to tie this back into when we talk about things like marketing tech is how does this facilitate relationships like with our agencies, with our design teams, the, 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 the people who may not be directly involved with the stack, but who are um, actively involved in our overall marketing approach? How does it improve that sort of thing? 
Well, I would definitely say for an agency one, it's going to be your speed to market for sure. Is being able to get things up and running and being able to get them integrated is going to be much faster. When you guys come in and put a system in place, does it usually mean that there needs to be an agency switch, someone who's familiar with those tools? No, in many cases, our job is to take the current infrastructure that's there and then just make sure it's better integrated and make sure that it all works together. So there's definitely some training on it, but I wouldn't say that we have to switch out entire tools. Don't get me wrong. There's times that we're switching out the entire stack, which does happen. Um, we have been known to make some agencies roll, and that's unfortunate because they don't, they're not uh, specialists in this said tool. Um, and that's why we try to stay agnostic from tools in general. But at the same time, like there's, there's a lot of training, there's a lot of overhead that goes into managing any technology. So I would definitely say that there's some training that has to go into it. One of the things that comes up in my experience is what you're doing is you're um, removing opacity, you're creating transparency in the process. So everything has a way that it gets executed and it has a place where data is being saved that lets you know how you're doing it. it, it mm -hmm. You get the pulse on all the things that you're doing. And a lot of agencies have never been held to that standard. They've been trained to deliver a creative that's going to satisfy the team, it's going to satisfy the executives, that's going to be cool and interesting. And that doesn't always deliver the results either, mm -hmm. you know, if it's in terms of growing your subscriber list, increasing conversions, um, or uh, just, you know, straight up measuring what you're doing so that you know how much time's going into certain things and then which things you should be spending time on vicing things up. I'll just to add to that is like, I think the one, our third company value is to create transparency using data. And a big thing about us is always we're trying to create transparency in organization. And a lot of times that's really, really helpful uh, because organizations don't have a lens into what's going on. So um, I really do think that like transparency is important. And by having a stack that's well integrated, you can see data on everything. And that's where transparency comes from. Let's talk about creativity. So marketing tech stacks and technology and processes and rules and boxes. There's a side of my personality that just throws against that. Generally, what I find is when we get good at this sort of thing, the, 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 the technology, the experimentation, the science, it frees up time for creativity. Talk a little bit about uh, if you have a story of a client that's gone through this process um, on the back end. Talk about does it does it free up more of the marketer's brain to be more creative, take some chances? Yeah, so and that's a really good question. Uh, Realthread.com, uh, custom t-shirt printer. They do uh, custom t-shirts for a lot of big brands. So their clients would be everybody from like Dropbox to Amazon. They print like 500 shirt orders, 5,000 shirt orders, and a lot of um, t-shirts for uh, clothing brands as well. So really, really cool company. We've been working with them for a long time. Uh, we started working with them to help kind of overhaul their stack and help them do their data processing. But the problem was, is their marketers were held back by not being able to send out cool content to the right people. So they have these multiple customer segments, but they had no way to segment them in general. So once we were able to build out the stack, build out the segments and get it all set up, these marketers actually had a lot more time to say, hey, when we think about these apparel companies, how can we communicate with them in a much more creative manner that they care about and be more effective? And one of the themes that they have for 2019 is all about stories. How can we tell the stories of these different brands but when I'm Dropbox, I can give two craps less about this apparel company. So what we were able to make it happen is they were actually able to be much, much more creative because now they actually had something to work with. They had a way to reach out to these customers and be uniquely experienced to them. And that's a lot of what we focus on is how do we create these exceptional customer experiences where you're having one-to-one -one communication? I think that's really where marketers have the most fun is 
that's where the creativity comes into play for a marketer, right? A marketer's job is to how do we visually sell something in many cases. And that's really able to be put to the max when you think about when you have these powerful tools that can separate uh, the different demographics of users and the different genders of users very, very quickly or different business types, um, the creativity really gets pushed to the limits at that point. Uh, and also, not only do they have more time because they have automation, but they also have more things to build for now. Yeah. And, I, you know, at the conferences I go to, I'm, I'm always amazed, not amazed, but you'll find that the storytelling sessions are just packed and that's, I think it's a very human thing. And when we don't have the time to um, sit down and put together the story, we end up being safe. We say, well, features, benefits, get them to do something, you know, call to action. Um, so I love the thought that that I think a lot of us got into marketing because we, we didn't call it this, but we love to tell stories because that's how you change hearts and minds. Mm -hmm. So that's exciting. I love, I love to hear that this brand put the system in place and then was able to get into, uh, you know, telling stories um, in their in their ongoing marketing. It's a, a longer investment, takes more time. It's a hell of a lot more fun. Now, you've seen the bulletin boards in movies used by detectives to help solve a crime. They're covered in pictures and connected by strings wrapped around tacks. You should do something like that. When you get back to the office, Bring to mind your most recent campaign. On a bulletin board or a whiteboard, draw the path of your prospects through the various systems in your stack all the way through to purchase, even if the systems aren't in your control. Draw green lines or use green string if you can track your prospects from one part of the stack to the next. Draw red lines if you must manually move the data or if the data is not available between those systems. For us, the marketing scorecard is where we analyze all of the work we do here. There are several red lines leading into it on the graph I drew. It's in a spreadsheet, and I manually enter data to answer questions like, how much is a new subscriber worth in dollars? And how has our new landing page changed acquisition cost? I'll show you a picture of my diagram in the show notes. Now, Go get to work on the red lines on your diagram. Some of them are red simply because you're not using the data. For example, I rarely log into Sprout Social to see how our social media campaigns are driving new subscribers and leads. You may want to reach out to sales and see if you can get a regular report of the sales you're getting. Figure out how to tie web campaigns to close deals by passing a campaign identifier with form data. Then listen to this podcast again, and you'll see Dan in a whole new light. Okay, scientist, that's it for this week.